But the last thing is, is do you believe what you just saw out there? Because I don't. Do you believe what you just saw out there? <laughs> I don't, but we're here. Screen by Williams, three by White. Good! It was a big-time triple, and he's got nine. Tatum's been tearing him up. As has Smart. Robinson awaits. Defends him. Inside. Smart! What a play! Marcus Smart, seven-point game. Approaching two to play. Butler with a long shot of three. for a Game 7 as the Boston Celtics look to complete something that has not been done in NBA history. That has come back from a 3-0 series deficit to win this one in 7. Fun little night of basketball with a literal, proper use of that word, a literal buzzer beater there by Derek White as a shot that by Mar- by Marcus Smart was halfway down, popped out back into Derek White's hands, who fortuis- fortuitously was in the perfect spot to put that one back in. Fabulous game last night. I'm Jeff Meller. Great montage there by Jake Cantu. And, of course, you heard Jalen Brown to start that montage off with the TNT crew. TNT with the highlights there. Brian Hanley, how about that for a nice little basketball game last night? You know, as I watch that game, I'm thinking, do I want to be a Bulls fan and, and know we have no shot at anything? Or would I want to be a Miami Heat fan right there? I mean, who, who would be – who would you, who feels more miserable right now? Ooh. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're so, I mean, not so close. You, you're, 150 teams have gone th- up 3 0 and finished the job. And uh, only five teams in major sports, major league sports, have coughed up a 3 0 lead. And you're going to, to the garden. You're, going, you're on the road to do it. Um, and God bless Jimmy. He looked like Zach Levine most of the game, but he made those three free throws. And everyone's dancing and thinking they got this one. And, and I get you don't want Jason Tatum to get the ball, but you're right, Derek White. Right, you know he just beeline to the to the hoop and and put it right back. Uh, it, I don't know. I I haven't seen the line. I'd like to know what the line is going into tomorrow night's game. Would you bet a dollar on the Heat? Ooh, no, it's a great great question. How do folks feel about the Heat possibly coming back? Because certainly Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra, and we'll, you'll hear from them here shortly. But they were. About as confident as you could be after having a devastating loss on home court. To your point about how 
rear this feat that we just saw last night was the Celtics became just the fourth team to force a Game 7 in the NBA after trailing a playoff series 3-0. The other instances, the 1951 NBA Finals, when the Knicks forced the Game 7 against the Rochester Royals. I was going to ask you about that. No, 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 no. Beat me to it. Before my time, yeah. You may remember this one, maybe, 1994 Western Conference Semifinals. The Nuggets force a Game 7 against the Jazz. And then finally, in 2003, the Western Conference first round, the Portland Trailblazers forced a Game 7 against the Mavericks. But in all those instances, they did not finish off the job and could not complete the comeback. The Boston Celtics will have an opportunity to do so at home tomorrow on Memorial Day evening. So, that is, I think, sports fans, you know what you're doing on your Memorial Day evening tomorrow night. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd love to know how many people are actually going to tune in, uh, history or not. Um, because, again, I, my thought is in Chicago, when our teams bow out, mm-hmm. a lot of the fan base bows out and paying attention to any of it. Um, you know, we have miserable baseball to, to focus in on now. I, I really wonder how many people watched that game last night, care whether the Jimmy Butler, God bless the former bull, and, mm-hmm. and you know, they want to see him finish the job. I, I just wonder because I, I, we're very parochial in this town, and I, I just really don't know that people are, are wrapped up in it. I, I am. I love, I mean, I love playoff anything, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, well, I think a lot of people would be barbecuing and, and probably not paying attention to their TV. No, it's a fair question, and let us know if you're going to be watching tomorrow night. You have the most people will have the day off to kind of you know do what they want to do, get done, and then of course to close out your night. Most folks will be getting ready to get back to the grind of the work week, but you'll have an opportunity to watch possible history there. And if you are interested, are you rooting? Especially if you're a Bulls fan, are you rooting for the Heat and Jimmy Butler? Is there a masochist in you that has you know? You, you, you enjoy the fact that a former Bulls superstar is doing this in Miami, or are you rooting for history? Do you want to see the Boston Celtics come back and complete this unprecedented comeback in NBA history? It's been done in hockey a few times, but never before in the NBA. And it's interesting the way we've got here because the Boston Celtics certainly, as the favorite in this series, didn't expect to find themselves down 3-0 and Honestly, a lot of po- a lot of people wondering would they be firing their head coach as they were entering Game Four because most people had made the assumption that the Boston Celtics, Celtics had quit in Game Three. So it's astonishing to see that we've gotten to this point. And I'm I am curious three one two three three two three seven seven six. You want to join the conversation? Let us know how are you going to be consuming Game Seven or to Brian Hanley's theory, do you not really care anymore because the Bulls were eliminated and basically when the Bulls came up empty in the draft lottery, maybe your basketball soul has been crushed for the next five to six years. It's, it's entirely possible, Brian. Well, it, 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 on the Giannis choke meter, where does this rate? Because <laughs> the, in for Miami who? Heat... For the Heat or the Celtics? For the Heat. Okay. Because, my, I mean, it, is it even a choke? They lost to Atlanta, so the Bulls go down there to play them in the in the play-in tournament, right? Yes. I mean, they're not even supposed to be here, right? The, they, they actually lost their first play-in game, and because the NBA's twisted playoff <laughs> formula... They still got life, and they got the Bulls, and we know how Zach Levine played in that game. And so the Bulls' season ends like we knew it would. And so they even up 3-0, they're not supposed to be here, right? I mean, they were, they were an afterthought. 
And, you know, if Boston loses tomorrow night on home, I assume they still fire the coach, right? I, I, mean, I don't know. That's a, I think it's possibly in play that Missoula has saved his job no matter what happens tomorrow mm, night. Okay. Uh, stranger <laughs> things have happened. Um, you know, meanwhile, David Ross is a Hall of Fame coach. Just ask Jed. Uh, and the Cubs are in last place. I mean, I don't know what to make of any of it, but it just is that a choke job if, if you weren't even supposed to be here, but you're up 3-0 and, and you're doing what 150 other teams have done and, and, and you still have an opportunity to do it, but I, I don't like your chances. It, if the Heat cough this one away, is this actually is this a worse way to go out than the Bucks went out this year? The, you yeah. know, I mean, that's a fair yeah. question. Who who had a worse ending to their season? Jimmy Butler talked about the end of the game last night. Basketball for you. Basketball is fine. It's very, very, very entertaining. Um, um, but that's that's good basketball. And I think, I believe, as we all do, like, you're going to get the same test until you pass it. I swear. Um, we're in the same position last year. And um, we can do it. I know that we will do it. We got to go on the road and, and, and win in a very, very, very tough environment. But we're capable of it, so let's get busy. It was May 29th, 2022. Last year, one year ago tomorrow, when the Celtics and Heat squared off in a Game 7. <laughs> and they will do the very th- same thing tomorrow with the, as Jimmy Butler pointed out, they try and pass a test that they have yet to do so. I uh, enjoyed Eric Spolstra right as soon as the game was winding or at Immediately after the game, I thought uh, he basically channeled the emotion I was feeling. Max did the right thing. We're making that ball go anywhere but uh, Jason Jason uh, Tatum. Um, you know, ideally you would think, you know, you, you hope you do the right things, you know. That thing just bounced a different way. That's the only place it could have bounced to hurt us. Um, I thought we had a lot of things covered on that play and uh, that sometimes uh, things just don't break your way. Um, but I, I don't think there's any regrets on that. Uh, um, it's just a shame, you know. Um, but look, this is the way this season's been. This is a, a one hell of a series. Uh, at this time right now, I don't know how we're going to get this done, but we're going to go up there and get it done. Uh and that's what the next 48 hours is about. There's been nothing uh, easy about this season for our group, and so we just have to do it the hard way. Uh, and that's uh, that's just the way it's got to be, you know, for our group. And uh, we wish we could tip this thing off right now. Right now, we want to tip this thing off. And let's play another 48 minutes, but we'll wait 48 hours and uh, and do this thing in Boston. I have to admit, I was groggily kind of falling asleep as the game entered the start of the fourth quarter, Bri, because I was out in the sun all day yesterday for yeah. my son's soccer tournament. How'd they do? How'd uh, they two wins yesterday, 2-0. and oh, So a right. uh, good start to the Memorial Day tournament for their soccer club. But So I was, uh, you know, being a, I was a little worn out watching the game, but I got... I certainly got some adrenaline pumping as that fourth quarter closed out. And then for it to end the way it did, I as it, as it concluded, I was thinking to myself... After I saw Eric Spolstra's post game, I was like, "Yes, me too. Let's tip this thing off right now." Let's get that's busy, how good it Jimmy. was. Yeah. That was a fun way to uh, spend your Saturday night. If you didn't really have any plans, or if you were waking up early like me and Brian on a Sunday morning to do this show, it was a fun way to spend uh, a Saturday evening of basketball in the playoffs, even if your team's not involved, Brian. So, and Eric Spolstra went on to explain that uh, they ended up forty-four and thirty-eight on the season. Of those 38 losses, he said they had 22 
to find close losses where, you know, 22 of the 38 losses were in, I guess, one or two possession games. Mm -hmm. So that either makes you, you know, uh, gives you a little backbone to be in these situations, or you look at the 17 and 24 on the road and they're going to Boston. I mean, I, They've been there and done that, and you can talk about bad bounces or a bounce just the right way or the wrong way, however you want to look at it. And it was fate, it was luck, it was ever. They sound like they sound like history's not hanging on their shoulders. They sound like you know they they really want to tip it off right away. They don't sound like they're stunned or shocked or anything else. Mm -hmm. But you know, all they're gonna unless they're in a uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, dark uh, retreat. They're going to hear about that from now until tip tomorrow about history and all the teams that got it done and being maybe the sixth team in all of pro sports not to get it done. And the follow-up point is this: is this all ultimately just a a premature celebration for whoever wins because you've got the Denver Nuggets who were dominant oh, in sad. the last round, just just yeah. waiting, kicking yeah. back, relaxing, and waiting for whatever team. It actually advances to come visit them in Denver on Thursday night and uh, join them with a pretty good at altitude. Yeah, Denver, yeah, with yeah, uh, one yeah. of the best players we've seen playing basketball in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Let's yeah. uh, before we uh, take a quick timeout. Let's try Ryan, who's on Mount Prospect. Ryan, you're on ESPN 1000 with Meller and Hanley. Hey, morning, gentlemen. Uh, I'm a huge Celtics fan, so I will be doing the exact same routine that I had the last three games that they won. The first three games, I made a crucial mistake and did not sit in the same spot in my couch that Ooh. I usually do. That's a problem, and that's my fault. And Celtics fans, I own that. That's that's on me. I will sit in the exact same spot for tomorrow night's game. I will be there 10 minutes before. I will eat the same food I ate last night. I will go to the bathroom the exact same time that I went last night. I will do anything I have to do to ensure they win tomorrow. Denver's going to be tough, but you got to go one game at a time because I can't believe that they've done this. I thought when they went down 3-0, I will admit it, I didn't think they were going to win. I thought losing five maybe they'll get one but i have to give them a lot of credit and i, I thought joe missoula i mean as much you know he, he was getting crapped on for everything that he did and i thought that wasn't fair i think you got to give him a lot of credit i think you've got to give jason tatum jalen brown i mean those guys vanished those first three games and all of a sudden they've actually shown up in a lot of critical situations so i can appreciate that a lot uh great show guys uh, are you hold on we got to ask you a couple are, follow are you questions. a transplant or, or how are you a celtics fan are you from boston or how did you how'd you adopt no, that i'm team? born and raised in chicago and it's the greatest city in the world no doubt about it chicago. so how'd you adopt the celtics my father is a big celtics fan so i mean okay. I, I grew right. up my entire life watching the celtics win 15 games a year and telling my dad say they'll be good again one day just take some time and patience please just wait well, so. What if the dog is sitting in your spot on the couch? Are you going to just push him off? No, or? no one sits in my spot. No, 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 <laughs> okay. no, no, no. no. I, right. told my, I told my daughter, I told my son, I asked my wife, please do not sit in the spot. We got to wait till 7. Uh, give me 7.25 tomorrow night, and that's when I'm going to sit. Ryan be, honest, right. Ryan, be honest now. Did you believe that Derek White got the shot off? No, no. I, again, I'll be honest. I saw it, and I was like, well, that's another crappy way to end the season. Mm -hmm. Thanks, <laughs> we'll see you in October. And uh, just like the Celtics, too little, too late. And when they reviewed it, I was like, oh, let's see it not go in. And it went in. And you could hear Stan Van Gundy yes. change from like, oh, there's no way. Oh, my God, he got it off. Like, I couldn't believe seeing it, let alone hearing it. It was one of, it was one of the coolest sports moments that I've seen. And it's not going to mean anything if they don't win tomorrow, but it was really cool, at least for the next 36 hours to have seen that. Good stuff. Thanks for checking in, Ryan. No, and, and that's great context there. This will quickly go away if the Celtics can't complete the comeback here, Bry, interestingly enough for Bulls fans out there, Derek White's buzzer beater 
was the second in NBA history by a player whose team was facing elimination and trailing at the time of the shot. Bry, you remember the only other time it happens? Do tell. Michael Jordan's The Shots against oh, the Cavaliers let, oh, in yeah. 1989. Don't let Scotty hear that. <laughs> oh, we, oh, don't worry. We'll let Scotty uh, talk to the Chicago listeners out there. Boy, oh boy, he uh, he certainly has some issues he's dealing with uh, these days, and uh, it is coming out to anybody who wants to pop him on the air. 312-332-3776. I'm Jeff Meller. He's Brian Hanley. Got a lot to get after today. Brian hinted at the baseball. We'll turn our attention to the Diamond here in Chicago coming up next. Listen to the show in HD at 100.3 HD2 FM. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. The inbound pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Until last night when Derek White's buzzer beater propel the Celtics to a Game 7. That shot, Michael Jordan shot over Craig Elo in the 1989 first round of the NBA playoffs, was the only time that an NBA team that was facing elimination and trailing at the time hit a game-winning shot. Until, of course, as I said last night, when Derek White did so for the Boston Celtics against the Miami Heat, we'll have a Game 7 on tomorrow night's Memorial Day evening, so I'm you sure a lot. I, Go ahead, Brian. You know what I remember from that that shot? You know, not only just Michael making it. Mm-hmm. Lacey J. Banks, uh, the late uh, yes. Bulls beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times and my colleague at the right one, jumped up out of his seat. Yeah, you know, there's no cheering in <laughs> yes. the press box. <laughs> but Lacey, now Lacey and Michael had a great relationship to the point where Lacey would play cards with him, like on the road at hotels and stuff. Sure. I think Michael took a lot of money from Lacey. From Lacey. When Lacey, you know, we weren't making much of sports writers. They played a card game called Tonk. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Michael wanted to win anything, whether it was beating a beat guy or not. Um, but so, they, I mean, you try not to be, quote unquote, friends with the people you cover, but it happens because you're around them as much as you are. So, yeah, I mean, he got Lacey out of his seat because Lacey ultimately is a fan, just like most of us. Uh, yeah, no. And uh, as you you know, if you're cordial, have a good working relationship yeah. with someone you see on almost a daily basis, it's understandable. Um, you're absolutely right, though. It's one of those rules where there's no cheering in the press box but it certainly at times does become blurred especially for some folks who maybe grow up in the city that they end up for all yep, the teams absolutely. that they end up covering they you know we all for the most part were sports fans first of these teams yep. that we've covered yep. so it is an interesting dilemma for a lot of people out there let's uh, try ray who's in lincolnwood before we move to some baseball talk what's going on ray i want to talk about that game you know the ending of that game when the refs were checking Butler's feet for whether it was a three mm-hmm. or a two, they also changed the clock. They did from t- from two point one to three seconds. Those three, three those additional seconds are what cost the game. No, you're <laughs> they right. They didn't change the clock. They, they never would have got it off in two point one seconds. Yeah. No, yeah, it's a spot on, Ray. It's a good point. Uh, a lot of people were a little bit upset, especially, too, you start to see the amateur social media sleuths out there, Bri, give you some, you know, all of a sudden they'll show you the freeze frame, and then they'll circle the clock that was on the TV. I thought if you uh, follow Rob Perez uh, on Twitter, he's somebody who's uh, an NBA junkie. He had a great 
visual of the actual clock because the point was made, I think might have been in the TNC postgame, but the clock that you see on the television is not always, it's not the accurate time that's kept on the floor by the officials. So even though you assume that it's spot on, there's occasions where it is a tenth or two off, and you'll see if you search around on Twitter, other social media outlets, there is a a, a good shot of Horford fouling Butler, and if you look up at the shot clock, you'll see the game clock, and it says 3.0. So I think the, the officials did get it correct, even yep. though there is some, as you pointed out, freeze frames, Brian, out there that would suggest to the contrary, but it's a great point, right? Because without that, without like, yeah. you know, point two, maybe even point one, it was leaving Derek White's fingertips. So it was a, a, a fantastic way to end an evening last night. Yeah, and so, I mean, not only does the bounce go perfectly Derek White and he's right where he needs to yep. be and they're, mm-hmm. they're, everyone's paying attention to Jason Tatum. But yeah, a fraction of a second literally has to go that way too. And and we see it, you see a lot during the NCAA tournament too. Yeah. When they go review a foul or whatever or three, almost, I mean, it seems like 80% of the time they put some time back on the clock. And it's funny, we've been watching sports for so long, Bri. It's still staggering when you see somebody like, like a, just a savvy vet, Al Horford, foul Jimmy Butler in that moment. It, it's, it's still mind boggling that. Yep. It just goes to show it's still an athletic endeavor, and no matter how well paid and how good and advanced how long these they've players been doing are, it. Yeah. yeah, you you get lost in the moment trying to make a play for your team, and the one thing you don't want in that instance is fouling Jimmy Butler. It also made me think, what was? I, I think it's it's pretty easy. To, it's probably easy to say Derek White's shot was the more difficult feat to accomplish, but. You cannot tell me stepping to the line, trailing by two with three free throws in your back pocket there to hit all three the way Jimmy Butler did in that moment. Sometimes I think it's just easy to dismiss because they are professional athletes and and they go and you just say, okay, you know, he's an 80 plus percent free throw shooter. He's going to make a horrific game. Five for 21 or whatever it was from the field, the floor. And in the moment, he finds a way to hit all three. And that's why everyone thought the game's in the pocket, and in the, you know they're they're heading to the finals. Yeah, just just a, a stunning way to end last night's game. I uh, got caught up in the emotion of just uh, again, not even really rooting for either, either team, but no. it was fun to watch. Uh, potentially, at least at the very least, history being forced and a possibility for the Celtics to complete this comeback. We got a little bit of uh, breaking news in regards to the White Sox, and this was somewhat expected, Bri, but. Adam Hazley has been optioned to AAA to make way for Aloy Jimenez, who will be returning from his rehabilitation assignment in in AA. He will be joining the White Sox today. I do expect him to be in the lineup for the White Sox as they take on the Tigers today. Pre-game coverage coming your way at noon here on the home of the Chicago White Sox. I actually will have the uh, pre-game coverage for the folks out there, Bryce. So White Sox-Tigers later today. Michael Lorenzen last yesterday afternoon was uh, dealing. Put the Sox in a tough position yesterday, but they popped back. You thought they got through it. They weathered the Michael Lorenzen storm, Brian, and then they got themselves a lead in the seventh inning, courtesy of Gavin Sheets with a bases-clearing double. And yet, Joe Kelly, who's been so good of late, he uh, he coughed it up in the bottom of the seventh yesterday. 
and we've talked about it for weeks now, your margin of error is so slim. And, and you know, so you, you, you survive the near-perfect game for seven innings, and we see that all the time where, well, you know, not only do they not get a, a perfect game or not get a no-hitter, they end up losing the game. The team does. Mm-hmm. And yet you have to – I mean, they were, what, 16-10 and 10 going in, in, into that game yesterday after starting 7-22, and 22, whatever yep. it was? Yep. And you talked about the winning percentage you have to have all the way from here to the end of the season to, to be a postseason team. And it's just – you can't afford – I mean, you just can't – you can't afford two or three-game losing streaks. So today's very important. I'm glad Aloy's going to be back in the lineup. Yeah, and so Dylan Cease will be on the mound for the White Sox. He's been better. His last two starts out, he even talked about how – his last start, he finally felt probably the best he has all year with his command on his pitches. So the White Sox are really going to lean on him because, honestly, the Detroit Tigers are playing the best baseball in the division right now. And you made note, you know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago how the White Sox were just a disaster. and They needed to play better baseball. They have as of late here. And, honestly, the, the, the good news, if you want to cling to anything, is the fact that in the American League Central, they're still just six games out. And, all you know, they may not need to win 85 games. Now, you, you'd think you probably would just to win a division, but yeah. honestly, you look at the way it's constructed right now, the Twins are the only game, only team above 500. They're two games over, but they've been scuffling along here as of late. Carlos Correa, uh, I don't know if they actually did place him on the injured list, but it looks like if they didn't, it's only going to be a matter of time before they do. They have their own issues in their lineup. They can't score any runs, so... There's a possibility here where if the White Sox can get back to just playing a little bit better baseball, they could, you know, before we know it, in a couple of weeks, they might be right back on top of the American well, League Central. And, and you know what? You want to believe that and hope the uh, spring's eternal and still spring, but the run differential is still minus 49. It is. The record against winning teams is 10 and 22. They're better at home, almost 500, 12 and 13. Now they can't win on the road, 10 and 19. And, you know, God bless. They get Kansas City and they get even a surging Detroit team, um, once they get outside this division, that's where you have to really prove that they're, you're going to be legit and you're going to make a run here. And, you know, all the odds and all the percentages say no, but it, it, the eye test is much better, right? I mean, anyway, it, it's he, there's reason to believe because, like you said, Joe Kelly had all of a sudden looked like the guy that they signed for a reason. Mm-hmm. And up and down the lineup, you know, you start getting Jake Berger and all these guys um, – but still, they, they've dug themselves a hole, and it's going to take a, a historic uh, run here to get out of it. And some more very good news is on the horizon. It seems we got word, I believe it was Friday, after his bullpen session, that Liam Hendricks, his latest bullpen session, it looks like he's probably very close to returning for the White Sox. Again, we don't have an exact timeline, but very encouraging news regarding Liam Hendricks. And so, again, the bullpen, which has been much better as of late the last week or so, 10 days, they've been really good. So, you know, if you add Liam Hendricks back to the mix, all of a sudden uh, you have yourself a very strong strength. And that, to add that to the rotation that's been better of late, uh, you know, that's why I'm trying to be a little bit more optimistic about what they've done as of late. But you're right. They've dug themselves a huge hole, and uh, they need to keep climbing their way out of it. Another team in town that has themselves quite a hole, and I don't know what the actual, where they were trying to go this season, what the actual uh, internal idea was, but the Chicago Cubs lost last night to the Cincinnati Reds. Jonathan India put it on them. We'll talk about the Cubs, David Ross, and their bullpen woes next here on ESPN 1000. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app.
This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Until 11 o'clock here today, White Sox pregame coverage up at noon with a first pitch in Detroit as they conclude their four-game set with the Tigers. First pitch coming your way at 1240. The Cubs are home at Wrigley as they try and avoid a sweep against the Reds today. 121st pitch, Graham Ashcroft on the mound for Cincinnati. And Drew Smiley, who's been really good for the Cubs, he will be your starter today. Again, first pitch, 120 for the Cubs and Reds. And they're going to need Drew Smiley today because, Bry, the last couple of days, the Cubs have uh, not been able to prevent the Reds from putting up some big numbers on them. And Friday, it started Friday. I mentioned Michael Lorenzen having a day yesterday against the White Sox hitters. Boy, Hunter Green really, really just, he made the Cubs wear it all day Friday. He was lethal and in a different era, we certainly would have seen him go out for the seventh inning and try and you know pursue a no-hitter. But in 2023, once you're well above 100 pitches, you just don't get the opportunity to do that anymore. Yeah, and, and remember a month or so ago, I said I'd probably take the Cubs' starting rotation uh, mm-hmm. over the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Get me rewrite. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> Drew Smiley and and uh, Steele uh, uh, still, you know, put take take them any day of the week. The bullpen, I mean, what do you do with Michael Fulmer? And if you're David Ross, you just keep putting him out there, and and you know, there goes the uh, the place gets torched. I, I mean, I put him in Iowa. I, I, I don't. He's a one year contract, four million bucks. And I know Jed held court at the beginning of the week, and mm-hmm. no, that's on me. You know, this was the formula we've used: go cheap, and it's worked out. And now maybe not so much. And so it's not David's fault, but David keeps putting him in high leverage situations, and you get another two run home run yesterday, yep. right? Yep. Um, I mean, you can't keep doing it. And I, I know your your alternatives and options aren't great, but between the bullpen failing in high leverage situations and then runners in scoring position, they're they're middle to, to the bottom of the pack. In, in all those situations, which is why they're now sitting in last place in the National League, win percentage-wise of, of 431. And David Ross said, we've hit a little bit of a rut in May. I mean, okay, what, <laughs> a little bit of a rut. Is that what you call 8 and 16? Yeah. I mean, where's Lee Elia when you need him? 8 and 16? That's um, more than a little bit of a rut there, David Ross. I hope we get hotter than hell, Brian. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna go out. stuff it up. Those come, fa- yes. um, yeah, rip those what? and print it. Eight and sixteen look- is a little bit of a rut. Okay, David. Under- yeah, I know you're trying to be positive, but come on now. Underrated the use of country in Lee Ilya's rants. Seems like yeah. it gets you know lost in the uh, the flurry of swears. But I always like that he you know as a derogatory <laughs> used the word country. Um, that that always tickles my fancy when I think about yes. Lee Ilya's rant. But I digress. It's interesting. So the Cubs were you know were on Fox last night. They got the national broadcast treatment. You had John Smoltz on the call. You had Ken Rosenthal on the sideline there. And um, you mentioned Ken Rosenthal even mentioned what you brought up right there. You know he talked about Jed Hoyer saying, "Hey, the bullpen, it's on me." So it's odd though, like the way they've gone about it, it has worked, right? Like they've gone for the reclamation projects which yep. if you follow baseball closely enough it's it's really not it's not like something that's completely revelatory it's pretty easy it's like if you find 
you, you, you look at the arms who have been successful in the past, and then oftentimes guys who are coming back from Tommy John surgery, maybe a, you know who are a year removed. So it's that like that year later, you go ahead and someone like David Robertson, you go ahead and you say, okay, we don't have to spend big money on him, but like based on medicine and what we know now, oftentimes eighteen months to two years out, a guy bounces back pretty well, right? So it's, uh, it, to the point where it, it was almost elective surgery for unfortunately for yeah. young young baseball players. They're like, well, I can go ahead and have that, even though I don't have an issue, because they were looking at the results post surgery, right? Yeah, and so like you know, and Michael Fulmer is somebody who kind of fit that mold, right? So it made yeah. sense as to why they went after him. But it's interesting, like it's not like they haven't struck gold because Mark Leiter Jr. has been an absolute revelation, right, Bry? Yeah, you kind of did unearth that guy. The problem is in the bullpen, you need four or five reliable yep. arms. And outside of Elzali, who, you know, he was a highly tarted, touted arm from the minors who, you know, I think the, it's not like it's not a surprise that Elzali is effective, especially when the hope was that he might be a starter. He doesn't, you know, clearly that's not going to be his path. But sometimes those high impact arms that you have in your minor leagues that you, you know, you get giddy about if they only turn into relievers, it, you know, it's. It's not a bust, but it's not necessarily sometimes what you'd hope for when you drafted them. Because I think if any general manager or team president was being completely honest, they would tell you that when they're drafting a pitcher, they're hoping they might have themselves a starter, right? You just, but oftentimes you don't know until you get into the minor leagues if they can actually make it through an order multiple times and, you know, how the, once the strain of multiple, you know, 60, 70 pitches wears on them. You don't know what their stuff's going to look like. And so Elzali's effective. You've got Mark Leiter Jr. So you kind of do have a couple of pieces. It's staggering, though, that they have almost nothing else. They they went bust with Boxberger, Fulmer, and even Julian Merriweather to some extent. Like, you've, you know, you haven't really found any guys off the scrap heap who could oftentimes come in, and you don't know where they're coming from, but baseball bullpens across the league are littered with those guys. Yeah. And then, you know, compounding, you know, the the one year four million for Fulmer is what it is and, and you have to live with it as long as you have to until you just say goodbye. But when you sign a starter for four years and sixty eight million dollars. Yeah. And, you know, he he's saying, well yesterday I it, it's closer to what I, I know I can be. Well, I know what you can be. You're a seven plus ERA right now and you can't get through five innings. And David Ross, just like Pedro Grafal, oh, the guys have put the work in and no one wants to do it more than they do. And, you know, they're grinding and they're, it's not for lack of effort. That's great. It's a results business. OK, I know he's trying to impress a new team. You can you you can sit there and and rationalize it and explain it away. But every four days I see the same thing and it's not near near good enough. It's just not. And so I, I just. Why does Jed Hoyer get a pass? Rick Hahn got roasted, rightfully so, for the way the Sox started the season. Both teams sit here today with 22 wins. Now, the Cubs weren't expected to win the division, but they expected to compete. And they, with a 12-7 and seven start, they were competing. And they were, and, you know, they were in the mix because that division in the National League, like the uh, AL Central, is, is among the worst in, in either league, right? Mm-hmm. So... Why does Jed Hoyer get a pass? I know on Twitter, people were starting to debate the U Darvish deal this week, right? 
Mm-hmm. It's a, so your off-season signings haven't worked out too well. You just you just uh, gave uh, Eric Hosmer his outright release. Um, the U Darvish thing is three years in the rearview mirror, and you got it was a perfect deal for the Cubs front office because they got four guys who were sixteen and seventeen years of age, and no one could possibly make an evaluation, even though people who do it for a living they weren't among the top twenty twenty five prospects in the Padres own system, let alone in baseball, right? Yep. It was a pure salary yes, dump of twenty million money. dollars. Right. And I think they paid $3 million towards his first year's salary. It was just get rid of the money. But you bought yourself time because who's going to sit there and, and chart the, the progress or lack thereof of 16- and 17-year-olds? But, but now it's basically you, Darvish, for Owen Cassie, who's 20. You know, I mean, and, you know, what do you have here? He's down at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But But – you know, Jed, how do you how do you judge Jed? I mean, it, how does he get a pass? He just, you know, God bless him. He's there. He knows to take the heat off of David Ross. He's he's where GMs are supposed to be. I always harp on this. When the team is scuffling and they come off a losing road trip, he's there the first game back, sitting in the dugout waiting to, to deflect and take some heat off the manager. And that's what GMs should do. That's part of their job description. But what, one of our Twitter poll questions today is, Yep. Both teams, 22 wins. Which which man would you rather have running your team, Rick Hahn or Jed Hoyer? Um, and, uh, you know, Rick Hahn has his constraints by ownership, a.k.a. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf. What, you know, we won't give $100 million contracts. We don't do this, that, the other thing. And now apparently Jed's working under a more austere budget than Theo was allowed, you know, was yes. allowed to spend, right? So I get they have constraints, but Jed – you know, when do you start judging Jed and, and his staff on when he says, I, I haven't done the manager any favors? No, it's a, it's a fair question. I look at, you know, it's weird because I, I really like Jed and I do think he's been, you know, hamstrung by a, a tough situation that he's been put in by ownership. And the reality is, though, I look at a deal like Cody Bellinger, you know, and he's on the injured list right now. But, right. you know, there was at least throughout April – you know, there were a lot of uh, bouquets being passed out for how well he looked. And again, but the, you, if you really put that under the microscope too, okay, what was the Cody Bellinger deal? What was it the hope that it would achieve? Is that just another piece that you're going to flip at the deadline? Because let's be realistic here. Um, the Cubs have, they're at seven games under 500 now, 22 wins, as you pointed out. They're kind of trending in a direction where a lot of people thought they were still, again, you know, at least a year away. And the hope was that you'd see some improvement at the major league level. But when you sign Cody Bellinger to a one-year deal, what, is, you know, best-case scenario, it kind of was working out before he hit the injured list. It was a best-case scenario. But where does that lead you, right? Sure. Another one-year deal for a player that you're going to flip? Because, honestly, as a Scott Boris client and a former league MVP, if Cody Bellinger got back anywhere close, and you know, to, you know, in shouting distance of MVP level, he was going to try the free agent market because it just makes sense for a 27-year-old center fielder potentially, you know, who can give you MVP stats. That guy is not going to sign a hometown-friendly deal, right? So I like a lot of the moves on the surface, but I also ask then, like, to your point, what's, like, if you're just going to go ahead and flip these guys for prospects, the prospects have to start coming through and making it to the majors and being productive. And we're kind of still waiting, right? Like 
everyone fall, fell in love with the Chris, Christopher Morrell hot streak, you know, five straight games sure. with five homers. And But you're also seeing over the last few games – Christopher Morrell, if he continues to strike out at you know a clip above 35. thirty five, yeah, above thirty three percent, it is not sustainable. You know, nope. everyone like it's it's fun when he's hitting home runs and dingers, but the reality is that throughout the course of a hundred sixty two game season, you're probably not going to be a great player if you can't make contact with the baseball. And, and I mean, and, and I know Ken Rosenthal wrote about this. Uh, you know, Marcus Stroman, and we know Marcus Stroman loves everything about being a Cub. He's active with Cub fans on Twitter and social media. He, I mean, he gives tickets to uh, road games to people who contact him and meets them. I mean, he, he's like the not only a very good pitcher for the Cubs, he's a great ambassador for the game and for the team. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't want to be traded. Now, he had an opt-out a clause, and, and you know he doesn't want to leave. But yet, if yeah. you're sitting here with the worst winning percentage in the uh, in National League come trade deadline time, what does Jed do? And and do you leverage a guy like that and try to get something in return? Even though the Cubs expected win loss record right now would be twenty six and twenty five had they not failed with the bullpen and with runners in scoring position. I mean that's pretty drastic twenty two and twenty nine actual versus they should be a, a plus five hundred team even barely. That tells you I, I'm not doesn't tell you they're close to anything, but they're probably playing better than the record shows. But not in this month of May, and uh, not in the last week or so when you know nine nothing, nine two, whatever. It's it's against you know the the all, always tough Cincinnati Reds. Help. Yeah, and you, you know Justin Steele has been really good, although the last couple starts not as good. But he still, had, on a whole, had a really nice season. But you look at the roster and you're like, okay, what pieces here are foundational guys sure. where you have your you can look and you can squint and you can see guys who are you know is there a core I impact, mean, like, no it's like and dansby swanson's a really good player right but you spent a lot of money on him and he's great defensively but he's 29 years old and what's he the 10th best shortstop in baseball yeah you know what i mean more, like in that yeah. range so okay i'd love to hear what cup fans think because you know it, it you came into the season not expecting to win the division necessarily but you expect to be better and here you sit Today, last in the division, uh, the worst winning percentage in the league. A brutal you, bullpen. Yeah, your manager's being questioned for you know Mike for some of the decisions he makes to add to the losing. The GM says, "Yeah, I, I you know I didn't do my manager any favors, but he's a rock star manager." You know, help us uh, untangle what uh, what is the Chicago Cubs right now. 312-332-3776. If you want to chime in, talk some baseball with us. Meller and Hanley here till 11 o'clock. Brian's got a couple of uh, Twitter poll- polls. We have to give you some of the uh, – we'll update the results on those. And also some Bears talk coming your way here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Jeff Miller back with Mr. Dusseldorf himself, Brian Hanley, (laughs) back from his European tour, taking in Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I assume, I, I could be wrong, though you know what they say when you assume, but did yeah. you see Bruce in Munich, or was it uh, no, another, I, oh, so an obscure German city? No, I wasn't in Germany at oh. all. Uh, Cap and I were in Paris. I didn't see him because there were 50,000 people between us. <laughs> uh, we were at the same show. Okay. 
So you and saw then, him in Paris, and then you he made your way to Germany. No, I never. I, I went I, to I, Italy. Oh, I went to Italy, okay. Yeah. Every twenty-five years, I go to Europe. There you go. Uh, I, I, it's a regular schedule. I don't like my chances for the next one because I'll be eighty-eight. Um, Hey. But, um, yeah, uh, so I went to see him the last night of the trip was in Rome. And the cool thing about Rome is they it was an outdoor venue where they used to have the chariot races, Circus yeah. Maximus. So you're sitting there in uh, two blocks from the Coliseum next to Palatine Hill and um, 80,000 people. And the one thing that was the constant on my 10 days in Europe, mm -hmm. uh, because between Paris and um Rome, this was a bucket list trip, and, and I have never been to Rome. I'd been to Paris in 1990. Um, it rained every day. I mean, and in Positano, the Amalfi Coast, which I've always yep. been told you got to go, and I, get, I went. And, I mean, two inches, two inches of rain pretty much every day. A, a waiter told me he's lived there his whole life, and never in May has he seen that kind of rain, and lucky me. Um, <laughs> well timed. Us. Yeah, because I mean, you're walking up 400 steps on this, you know, we, you know, because post tunnels built on on cliffs, basically, right on, yep. on a mountain, and so you better like walking steps. But you're basically walking through a waterfall when it when the downpours are coming. But you're there, and you've spent money and points and miles and everything I've stored up since my sports writing days. Mm -hmm. So you know, you're going to get out. You're going to walk in the rain, and um, so I mean, it was still a great trip. But from Paris all the way through Rome, it rained every single day. And sometimes it rained a lot, sometimes not so much. But in Rome, two hours before the show, uh, the rain stopped and turned into a pretty uh, nice evening. And, yeah, it was great. Um, and, you know, it's um, seeing people much older than I am on mm -hmm. shoulders of their spouses basically swaying to Springsteen music. Sure. I mean, rock and roll, uh, you might be old in, in age, but you're young at heart when you... And I don't know, Danny Zetterman has a passion for Pearl Jam. And I know people who've, you know, done similar treks with Coldplay. It's good. I, I just think it's good if you have a passion for rock and roll and you have a particular band or singer that, you know, I followed for 40 years. Um, little weather wasn't going to stop me. So it was, a, it was a great trip all in all. What did he uh, close the show with? He closed, and this is a point of contention for everyone. Uh, Springsteen has been great at, you know, if you go see four shows, you're going to see four different shows because mm -hmm. historically he would put six, eight, ten different songs night to night, switch it up. This this tour is not. He's 73. He'll be 74 in, in September. The band, some of the band members older than he. Yeah. So it's a very scripted show. There's basically two set lists. So if he does two shows in a city like he did in Paris, there's the first show set list and then the second one. It's pretty stringent. And people are complaining about that there's no very uh variation it's a very scripted show but the band is that much tighter because of it because mm -hmm. they're playing the same pretty much the same music in the same order every yeah. night so it's um it's just different but a lot of people I, as, as steve van zandt said you've been spoiled for 40 years we did twice the show at half the price of what other people are charging and you know either yeah. enjoy it or not and so there's honestly Brian, though you know for those complaining about it like the reality is hey most folks only going to see one Bruce Springsteen yep. in the E Street Band show across Europe, right? So uh, yep, absolutely. they want to see the, the songs that they're showing up to see. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to.
defaults. Different dynamic too. I mean, the European crowds. First of all, they're not. There's no dynamic pricing, mm-hmm. so everyone paid you know basically a hundred bucks to go to get in. So no one's upset that some people in the states are paying a thousand dollars by you know Ticketmaster and fees and everything else. So they might be in a surly mood anyway, mm-hmm. and it's just a different. Uh, you know, fans have been dying. He hasn't toured since 2016 in Europe. So they're waiting, and it was really cool to be caught up in that atmosphere and that crowd. Good stuff. 312-332-3776 talking about last night's Game 6, a little bit about the baseball teams here in town, and we've got to get after some Bears issues as well. One NFL, one prominent NFL analyst uh, is not sold on Justin Fields. Should Bears fans be upset? We'll talk about that next here on ESPN 1000.